brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that rave Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 472, coming to you on Boxing Day, December 26th. We're going to preview the 2022 Cotton Bowl Classic between your 11 and 2 USC Trojans and the 16th ranked. American Athletic Champions, the Tulane Green Wave. We're going to discuss all the game's big talking points, from injuries to opt-outs, figuring how the Trojans will stop star running back Tajay Spears, and so much more. As always, feel free to follow us on social media. We're at Reign of Troy on Twitter and Facebook. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Our email address, Troy at fansi.com. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelCastFS. But, of course, I'm joined along with the star of the show, my co-host, Penguin of Troy on Twitter, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, it is the uh, the big one, the big episode, um, one we've looked forward to for a little bit here. Um, another final, another but yet a final uh, game preview of the season. Uh, talking about the Cotton Bowl, USC and Tulane. It is wild that this is the last game preview of the 2022 season. Yeah. I feel like, and we'll say this every year, but especially this year, I feel like it's still September. Like I still (laughs) feel like we haven't gone through a full season. Uh, It's wild that it's over already, which is also kind of sad because it's been a lot of fun. It's a weird, weird kind of thing where in some ways it feels like the season 
you know, was a long time ago. And in other ways, it feels like uh, it sort of uh, just happened. So, um, you know, it, it happened overnight kind of thing. So, yeah, it's uh, here we are. Uh, we are a week from the game. Of course, the game coming up uh, next Monday, uh, January 2nd, which is the federal holiday for New Year's Day, because New Year's Day this year is on Sunday, January 1st. So uh, all of the college games get moved January 2nd. Of course, this happened five years ago, uh, I guess six years ago, for the Rose Bowl when SC played Penn State. That was on a Monday, uh, January 2nd as well. So January 2nd, a week from today, uh, 10 a.m. <laughs> on ESPN, it's going to be the Cotton Bowl Classic. Uh, Mark Jones and um, RG3 on the call. So uh, tune in for that, but yeah, let's just get straight into it. It's the Cotton Bowl, uh, USC and Tulane, the Trojans celebrating their 100th anniversary, the first bowl game in USC history, which was on January 1st, 1923 in the Dang. Rose Bowl. Dang, it's been a while. Yeah. What was, what was that game like for you? Uh, I wonder what that game was like for me. <laughs> If if you were there and you're in the chat, let us know what was it like <laughs> at the 1923 uh, Rose Bowl. Um, but here we are, the Cotton Bowl Classic, uh, a definitely a different venue than the Rose Bowl. It's going to be over at Jerry World uh, in Arlington, Texas. Uh, the Cotton Bowl, of course, moved over there about a decade or so ago uh, from the original Cotton Bowl on the east side uh, of Dallas, over at the fairgrounds. Uh, the Fairplex, as it's called. Um, you and I won't be going there, Alicia. The Trojans have played uh, at Jerry World a few times of late. Of course, the 2016 um, uh, regular season as a full-time head coach debut for Clay Helton did not go well there <laughs> against the, the Alabama Crimson that's, Tide. That's an understatement. Losing 50-6. to six. Uh, then there was the Cotton Bowl at the end of the following season, the end of the 2017 season, where SC lost to uh, Ohio State in what was essentially a Rose Bowl that was just moved to Dallas um, in the the Cotton Bowl because the Rose Bowl was a playoff game that year. Uh, and so the Cotton Bowl became sort of the de facto Rose Bowl, Pac-12 champion USC against Pac uh, Big Ten champion uh, Ohio State future conference foes, of course, with the Trojans going to the Big Ten in 2024. Uh, SC loses that game 24-7. Uh, to We talked about it before, one of the most frustrating games in USC history, uh, at least as far as you and I are concerned. Um, and here they are, back at the scene of the crime in another Cotton Bowl, this time against the Group of Five. Can we call them the Group of Five champions? Is that, is that, is that fair? I think there might be others in the group of five who would say it is not fair because sure. they are not. Yeah. They are the, the, the group of five representative. Yeah. For, Fresno state, I don't think would feel good about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there would be arguments certainly because the American is not the only conference in the group of five. So no, just uh, one, one of five. Yeah. I mean, one of five. Exactly. So yeah, it's it's it, they're the group of five representative. This that makes it a very interesting matchup because they have a whole lot to play for. Yeah, uh, because all of those group of five teams are always looking to uh, to pull off a big one. But hey, maybe 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 it was us. It, it, it's it's you and me. 
hi, we're the problem. It's you and me. If uh, if Tulane, if, if USC is able to get the win in this game at the Cotton Bowl, because that will mean that USC is undefeated in games at AT&T Stadium that you and I attended. No, this, that you and I did not attend. This is true. You, yeah. you, know, you know the last time SC got a win in a dome stadium? Syracuse? No. Uh, the Houston, uh, the Houston Astrodome, nineteen ninety five. Was that Syracuse game not played in a dome? No, it was in. Uh, it was at uh, the at MetLife. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Well, then there's a lot of streaks that USC could potentially break here with a win. Like people think USC has nothing to play for, but we're going to talk about a few things that are uh, historically going against yeah. USC in this one. So. I- I also Eesh. think it's the, the, the first time in USC history that the Trojans are playing back-to-back domed games, having played uh, yeah, at, they lost it, uh, at, at Allegiance, at Allegiance. Which, is, yeah. which is considered a dome. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Well, that's yeah. another element that I wasn't... Uh... No, there's no elements because it's a dome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thankfully. Uh, so anyways, uh, let's talk about the Tulane uh, Green Wave. Of course, they went 11-2 and this season. They won the American... Uh, the class of, of Group of Five, the Group of Five representative in the uh, the New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, coached by Willie Fritz in his seventh year at Tulane, all told as a head coach in college football, he's 196 and 114. Um, he's what I would call a very, very good coach, and Tulane is a very well-coached team. Uh, twice Fritz took Sam Houston State to the FCC, so, sorry, to the FCS championship game uh, and lost both times uh, to a little school called North Dakota State. I don't know if you ever heard of them uh, in the FCS. Twice uh, the losers to them. Uh, I don't think there's any shame in that. We know how uh, you know North Dakota State practically an FBS school competing at the FCS level. Yes. Um, but he goes from Fritz goes from there uh, up to Tulane. This is his seventh year, and he has turned Tulane around. Tulane a Famously, a school who multiple times uh, the administration has considered like getting rid of the football program. Um, they formerly were in the SEC, of course. Uh, they they have SEC championships under their belt, um, but um, they've been you know uh, sort of the in-state little brother to LSU for a long time, and the 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 private school in New Orleans that doesn't get the fanfare that LSU does um, and, you know, doesn't draw the talent and all that stuff. But Willie Fritz has come in there and turned things around bowl games in four of five seasons for the last five. The, the one that they didn't go was last year. They went two and 10 and they have turned it around completely uh, to go 11 and two this year, uh, which is, uh, which is pretty incredible uh, for the Tulane green wave. Of course, Led at quarterback by Michael Pratt. Uh, he led the American in passer rating with a passer rating of 159.7. Uh, he, he's a competent rusher. Rushed for 395 yards this year. And when you consider Tulane had like 129 lost yards on sacks, basically add like 100 yards more to his rushing total uh, because of that. He's already announced he's coming back to the 2023 season as well. So keep an eye on him next year. Uh, as we go into the seasons, Tulane looks to be another force for the group of group of five bowl bid in the uh, the big bowls. 
but Tulane is led by their star running back, the American Athletic Conference Offensive Player of the Year, Tajay Spears. 1,376 rushing yards, 15 TDs. He had 242 uh, through the air as a pass catcher, 242 yards, a couple touchdowns there. Uh, he really maximized his production as the season went on. He averaged 152 yards per game over the final seven games of the season. He averaged an insane 7.94 yards per carry over that stretch, topped the 100-yard mark in all seven of those games, two of them against UCF, in which he averaged 10.97 yards per game, including a season-high 199 yards uh, in the AAC championship game um alicia when you i think when you look at this he's probably the second best pure running back the sc has faced all year was behind uh zach charbonnet of ucla would would that be fair in how you've looked at this game so far yeah i think it's fair i think i I saw a quote from a usc defender that called him the best running back that they would face all year and uh i don't think that's any disrespect meant to zach charbonnet i think that's a lot of respect paid to uh to Spears, to Spears and, yeah. and what he's been able to do this season. So he's absolutely the 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 worry guy that you have to look for on this offense. And I think that if you're looking at the way that USC's defense approaches the the offenses, um it's gonna be sort of a, a tough ask to to slow this guy down. But that's what I would do. <laughs> I would I would uh, you know put all of my eggs in in preventing Tulane from from having their rush attack go off. Yeah. And maybe you have to just live with what Michael Pratt does. I, I maybe take the Notre Dame um the 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 game the blueprint from that game and say, you know what? Maybe you're going to hurt us a bit, but we also trust that our offense is going to outscore you enough. I like that. to accept that Michael Pratt's going to get his and go from there. So it's, 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 that's what you do on paper. I think (laughs) being able to pull it off uh, in actuality is, is where the challenge comes from, but that's the way that I look at it. You cannot let Spears go off in this game. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I I think that's, I think that's a good way of looking at it. I think that of all the teams that, you know, I've been struggling to come up with a, with a comp, on SC's roster, I mean, schedule this year that feels like Tulane. But, you know, I think you're right. I think Notre Dame is it in that this is a well-coached team, um, more so than Notre Dame. And that's not a knock on Freeman. This is a credit to Willie Fritz. Mm -hmm. Um, Very well-coached team who is good at just about everything. Yeah. Uh, They're not elite at anything, but Tajay Spears is a hell of a damn running back, um, which makes them – you know, you you sort of fear their running game more than anything. Yes. Um. The, but but even then, they're they're as a team, thirty fourth in in yards per carry. Um. So it's not like this; they're running at an elite level, like say UCLA was. The the difference between Tulane and Notre Dame, and this is where USC needs to be there's very no careful. Michael Mayers. Well, there's no Michael Mayer, but Michael yeah. Pratt is a much more efficient quarterback in general yes. than uh, than Drew Pine had been pretty much all season. And, and Drew Pine, by the time USC got to him, they had sort of settled him down to be more of that efficient, uh, just don't screw up kind of uh, kind of quarterback. But Michael Pratt's been doing that pretty much all year, mm-hmm. and he's he's tried and true with it. 
He protects the football pretty well. Uh, only five interceptions this year. You know, top passer rating in the in the American says that he is doing things really efficiently, which is always helped by having a really strong run game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's where, to me, that's where if you're Alex Grinch game planning for this game, you put the pressure on Michael Pratt and see what mm-hmm. happens when uh, when the game is all on his shoulders and you, you see if if he can elevate himself because my argument is always with with quarterbacks like that's the 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 great defining sort of characteristic of a quarterback is can they respond when they don't have the the when they're not able to rely on the run game when they have pressure in their face when they're the guy that has to go out and win and if they do that then to me I shrug my shoulders and say well that was a great performance by the quarterback so you live with it yeah, and you know, you look back at the Notre Dame game. They the, all the talk all week was how was SC going to match the physicality of Notre Dame up front? Notre Dame was going to run for 400 yards on USC. Is yes, what we were told, and it was back-to-back games where I think you feel really good about what SC did on the ground defensively. Held Zach Charbonnet to 95 yards. Held Notre Dame the 90 as a team. Um, if SC repeats that performance against Tulane, I think they're going to be in a standing to you know, look really well. Um, The other side of it is that, yeah, Pratt absolutely can, you know, throw the ball all over the field. He loves to distribute uh, the ball pretty evenly to his receivers. Uh, The Green Wave have four receivers with more than 30 catches, but not a single one with more than 35. Like, I've never seen distribution like this. This is very Washington State under Mike Leach. Yes, yes, exactly. Shea Wyatt, 35 catches. Deuce Watts, by the way, Deuce Watts, his name is Deuce. He wears number two. As he should. I would say he's my favorite Watts brother, but his <laughs> brother also on the team, Fats Watts, <laughs> and he's a design major. So like, clearly he's my favorite Tulane Green Wave of all time. Yes. Uh, but Deuce Watts, 31 catches. Uh, Jaquan Jackson, 32 catches. Lawrence Keys, the third, another great name, uh, 30 catches. So, um, Right there, all told, uh, 140 catches. Uh, sorry, 120. I'm not a math major. See, I'm a design major. I am not going to help you with that math either because I'll just embarrass myself. Yeah, 128 catches between the four, but yep. even distribution uh, between all of them uh, for the most part. And then Tyrick James is the uh, the tight end to watch for. Um, he's a beefy dude to uh, to keep an eye on. But compared to the tight ends that SC has faced this year. Um, he's not Dalton Kincaid, who SC is glad they never have to face ever again. Uh, and he's not Michael Mayer. So, um, you know, you take your, I think you take your chances in trying to shut down the run as best you can uh, and force Pratt to go to those guys. And now the, the downside of that is SC has been susceptible through the air. Drew Pine threw for 300 yards in that Notre Dame game. Mm-hmm. Um, Utah picked SC apart on, on, in the passing game, um, multiple times this season, right? DTR had his success through the air as well. Uh, the difference being here, I think if if you go in this game as, uh, defensively for SC and you're able to stop, you know, Tajay Spears similarly to what you did against Zach Charbonnet, as good as Pratt is, I think it's just a strong, steady, reliable quarterback he's not DTR and that he's not going to beat you with his legs in a similar way. Um, even if he's a competent rusher, I think, yeah, you know, a guy who has you know 400 yards under his belt, 
I don't know that he's going to, you know, be the guy to, you know, pull off all the plays to say DTR would. But then again, uh, you look but at the, the guys who have beaten SC on the ground this year, uh, you know, Cam Rising, deceptively quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pratt could be that guy too. I, I don't think you need to be DTR to beat this USC defense. No, you don't. Uh, in fact, you don't. DTR you, you don't. beat himself to a certain point because he threw all those interceptions and, right. and had all those turnovers. So uh, if, if you know, Tulane comes into this, they got to look at Michael Pratt and just say, just don't screw up, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> just protect the football. Um, which is is really for this offense, uh, something that's going to be a bit of a challenge for them. Uh, Pratt has only had five interceptions this year, but they have ten fumbles on the year, so yeah. they're not exactly holding on to the ball um, all that well in terms of of that metric. So uh, it'll come down to the the skill players not screwing up, and and it'll come down to someone like Michael Pratt being stepping up and and being ready for the moment and. The challenge that USC has, of course, is to force them into mistakes, force them to to be overawed by the occasion, by the yeah. stadium, by all of that, which is certainly a possibility that uh, that that Tulane will have to to factor in. USC played their last game, you know, at a huge NFL stadium uh, at, at Allegiant. I I don't know. Maybe the AAC plays a their their. Um, they, they hosted their their title game. Yeah, so I I don't know that they have. We we know that the program itself has not had uh, this kind of huge matchup um, in terms of a New York New Year Six Bowl uh, for many 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 years, if that. Yeah. And um, this is going to be another one where where they've got to be able to step up and go onto a stage that's bigger than they've ever been on and and show some composure. And like I said, on the flip side, it's USC's job to beat that composure out of them. So that's yeah. the challenge to USC's defense. Exactly. They, they have played um, in a hostile environment this year, uh, Manhattan, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they went into Manhattan beat eventual big 12 champion, Kansas state 14, right. 10. Uh, but that is a different but kind that's of not an, environment. Uh, that's a hostile that's environment. That's a hostile environment. It, the, it's not necessarily a, yeah, the shock and awe environment. Yeah. AT&T is not going to be hostile. I no. think, I think it's just, as someone who has walked out onto that field, it is <laughs> awing. Yeah, it's not intimidating. It's... It is awesome in the sense that you walk and you look up and you're just like, wow. Uh, yeah, like, this isn't normal. I'm inside yeah. of a mountain. That's what it feels like to be inside that stadium. Right. It's like, this is what you think about, like the dwarven caverns and stuff in, in fantasy novels. Like, that's what that feels like. Like, I'm inside of a mountain. So yeah, yeah, that'll be an interesting sort of wrinkle. But uh, Tulane has the dudes on offense to to give USC's defense fits. And if you're looking at the recipe for Tulane to upset USC, it's it is because USC's defense is as vulnerable as they are. Yeah. And one of the things that I would go into this hoping to see from USC's defense is a response because they really screwed up against Utah, and they have been getting raked over the coals. Uh, yeah. Alex Grinch has been getting raked over the coals to the point where Makai Blackman went on Twitter and said, you know, had a defender, uh, yeah. he defended the the defensive coordinator and and he said, you know, Grinch is a great defensive coordinator and and basically people on Twitter don't know what they're talking about. Well, if USC's players think that, then they need to show it by yeah. coming out and making a statement in this game that that uh represents what they want to be seen as because right now USC Stevens is a laughing stock. So 
this is an offense that uh, in one sense is dangerous to USC because they know what they're about. They have competency at quarterback. Yeah. They have electricity at running back mm-hmm. and um, you know, general reliability elsewhere. On the other hand, this is also a uh, an offense that doesn't necessarily, with the exception of Spears, I think that we're like, you know, we talk about DTR and you talk about like guys that really scare the crap out of you. Yeah. Um, Dalton Kincaid and, you know, Cam Rising to a point. I, I, I think he's just been an exceptional quarterback for Utah for, for long enough now that you have to look at him and give him that kind of respect. Um, I don't know that Tulane has, like you said, like they're good at everything. Well, they're 43rd in, in SP plus on offense. So they're, yeah. They're just, they're just solidly good. And, yeah. And, they're solid. Yeah. So if it, this is an opportunity for USC's defense to, go head-to-head with a solid offense that isn't going to necessarily blast the doors wide open. But that's... But when you're a defense as susceptible to that as yeah. as SC has, you have to still have some concern there. I oh, think, you could still give up 40 points to this offense right. if, you, if you don't tackle. I, exactly. So. We know that that's been SC's problem. Um, let, let's turn to the other side of the ball. And to me, this game is all about the other side of the ball. It's all about what USC does on offense uh, against Tulane's defense. Tulane um, has a very good defense, probably one of the best uh, group of five defenses you're going to find. Uh, They're 30th in SP plus, um, and they are an interesting one. I was going through all the numbers, and it's fascinating to me how this defense works. Uh, They do not force negative plays. That sounds bad. But they don't allow big plays. So what does it mean? They just keep everything in front of them. The Waves are eighth in FBS in adjusted defensive yards per play at 4.73 and rank 11th by only allowing 10-plus yard gains on 7.5% of defensive plays. That is good. That is really, really good, right? Uh, Eighth and 11th in those rankings, good. But you pair that with things like Havoc plays, 110th in tackles for loss, 110th in stuff rate, 117th in sack rate. They're not making the negative plays, but they keep everything in front of them that I don't think it matters. And when it all adds up, you know, they go into Manhattan and they keep Kansas State to 4.6 yards per play, the fewest that K-State had all season. Only 10 points K-State scored in, in that game. Uh, the fewest they scored all season. So this is the defense that, you know, has a bunch of, you know, all-conference players led by Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, uh, a, a two-headed linebacker core and a 4-2-5 defense, where if the the two in the 4-2-5 are your best two players on defense, I think I'd feel really good about how that defense works from the middle out. Um, and they've got a lot of talent there, and – of course, the big key is what happens for USC on offense. Caleb Williams at quarterback gets hurt in the Pac-12 championship game, comes up lame on his hammy, stays in the entire game, and SC struggles. Uh, Andrew Voorhees missed that game uh, in the in the Pac-12 championship game, and SC could not run the ball. Brett Nealon got hurt in that game, had to leave. Nealon is not playing in the Cotton Bowl. Voorhees is not playing in the Cotton Bowl. Bolitnikoff winner from last year, Jordan Addison, is not playing in the Cotton Bowl. 
Caleb Williams says he's playing in the Cotton Bowl, but like, what does that mean? Is he going to be a hundred percent? I I wouldn't bet on it. Um, we we don't exactly know what how he's going to look in the in this game. It it. I have a lot of questions about USC's offense. I. <sighs> I have a, a weird I have a weird confidence about USC's offense if Caleb Williams plays. My concern about USC's offense is if Caleb Williams does not play because what we learned about the Lincoln Riley offense when Link, when Caleb Williams got hurt is not necessarily that um without Caleb Williams USC's offense is nothing. I I don't think that's the case because Lincoln Riley's offenses have been consistently good for too long to say that that it's just Caleb Williams what we learned is that having a mobile quarterback a running threat at quarterback is the key to this offense and when Caleb Williams ceased to be a running threat the offense basically had nothing and the problem for USC is that as we were you know watching at home watching that game saying Caleb is a detriment right now get him out put Miller Moss in you put Miller Moss in, you don't solve that problem. Miller Moss does not have the running ability that Caleb Williams does. Miller Moss is not a quarterback who's going to do a zone read and then keep it himself and gain a lot of yards and sort of be confident doing that. So if Miller Moss is the starter, then USC is going to have to go with a more conventional-looking offense. And I don't know what that looks like for Lincoln Riley at USC. And I certainly don't know what that looks like for Lincoln Riley at USC with the offensive line composed the way that it's going to be composed because we've never seen the offensive line composed the way that it's going to be composed. Right. And it seems now that we have a, some, some clarity uh, because Gino Canones has talked to the media and uh, he has confirmed that he, he has been taking first team reps at left guard. And so we can sort of piece together the offensive line as Bobby Haskins at left tackle Gino Canones at left guard mm-hmm. in place of Andrew Voorhees, Justin Dietrich at center, Jonah Monheim at right guard, and Mason Murphy at right tackle. And you can sort of look at that and say, okay, I think I think a month of preparation for those guys to get ready to go is possible to have things go all right in this. But we also saw what happened against Utah when USC had to shuffle that line and had no Andrew Voorhees, and it was an absolute disaster. And they had nothing. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't take pressure off of, of Caleb Williams. And he was a sitting duck as soon as his hamstring went. So yeah. does USC's offense without Caleb Williams as a running threat, even if he is present, if he's not a running threat, then then it's, there's a, another question. Can they go toe-to-toe with this two-lane defense um, with that offensive line? Can they run the ball against two-lane's defense with that offensive line? Uh, can they protect Miller Moss, who will need more protection than Caleb Williams does yeah. with that offensive line? And we always know that the protection was the part of the liability. Yes, yeah. Um, I don't know. And I think that's what makes this side of the matchup so intriguing because you can almost imagine a scenario like the Kansas State game where this really good offense, this really exciting offense with with uh, a good quarterback and and good skill position players and stuff, where they're just stopped in their tracks because Tulane is very well coached and disciplined and they, yeah. they have some g- good players on that defense, talented players who are able to shut things down. You can also imagine a world where USC has way more firepower than even Kansas State had 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're talking about Adrian Martinez versus a healthy Caleb Williams, you are not talking about the same stratosphere of quarterback. Uh, and and maybe that's the thing that um, that separates these uh, the 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 scenario where you look at it and go, well, Tulane hasn't faced the Lincoln Riley offense, so good luck, well, folks. Well, they they have. They they did last year. Well, week one. Yeah. Which I think is going to be an interesting um, thing. I, I wish we had like I said, we wish it. I, I wish we had time. We literally had a month. I guess we could have <laughs> uh, gone back and watched the Tulane game from last year. Uh, Tulane in Oklahoma, week one. Uh, Lincoln Riley Sooners win that game forty to thirty-five. But who's at quarterback for Oklahoma? It's Spencer Radler. It's Spencer Radler, someone who is not of the same mobility that uh, Caleb Williams is. Certainly not the same caliber. No, um, not not at all. Not not in that category. Um, he's on the Miller Moss to Caleb Williams scale. He's closer to Miller Moss. Um. Still between those guys, but still closer to Miller Moss in that sense. And so, I, I, how much of that plays into it? I don't know. But like, I go back to the conference championship game, and I think SC could have won the game with a gimpy Caleb Williams. I think SC could have won the game with a without Andrew Voorhees. Um, and they could have won the, the game in the game in which they didn't run the ball at all, They're like successfully. They couldn't do all three of those things together. Yeah. And I think all three of those things, uh, obviously the the Caleb Williams injury happens on a scramble. And, you know, I'm not going to say that, that that was a direct cause of the Andrew Voorhees injury. But uh, sure, I guess you could say he's not making that scramble if there's better protection. Blah blah blah. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go. That was a that that's... was a Heisman level impressive exactly. play. Like he was that's gonna, yeah. He was he was gonna you know scramble at some point anyway. He he, right? he he won the Heisman on that play because because of his heroic efforts. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to go that far. Um, but what I'm going to say is like I think that if Vander Voorhees is in that game, I think that despite. We, we talked about it all year long. SC is an elite running team on the on a per-play basis. All the numbers check out. We talked about opportunity rate, how far SC is ha- ahead of everybody else in the country in opportunity rate, and at making sure that the, the offensive line is giving the, the running backs their best opportunity to run the football. Well, when Andrew Voorhees is not in there, all of that came crumbling down, and it showed how – valuable Andrew Voorhees was to this team just as much as Caleb Williams is. And so without him in there, I have so many questions and you look at an offensive line for the Trojans, um, which is going to have Bobby Haskins at left tackle, presumably uh, Gino Quinones at left guard, Justin Dietrich moves over to center, Jonah Monheim at, at right guard, Mason Murphy at right tackle. The, yeah. The right side of the line has a little bit more stability than it has before, but you still have Justin Dietrich moving, moving from right guard to center. You, you have those guys moving around and, and maybe they can build some chemistry over three weeks of bowl prep, but this is not the offensive line that SC built up all those great rushing metrics with. And so I really wonder, like, can they be able to run the ball? Well, um, I, I just don't know. I, they they need to prove it to me. The plus side is that this Tulane rush defense is not 
they are they're absolutely not not bad they're they're no. pretty decent in fact um but they're not great no. and uh that may be like 109th and oppor- defensive opportunity rate yeah so they 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 have been vulnerable at times they're not giving up um like i'm just looking at their stats the their the season high that they've given up is 235 yards rushing to cincinnati yeah if that's your sorry season high was 336 to ucf my bad but like if the vast majority of your games this season, you give up one game of 300 yards, you give up one game of 200 yards, and the rest of your games are sort of somewhere in between 175 and 115 in terms of just rushing yards that that are achieved, mm-hmm. you're pretty consistently doing okay on that front. Um, right. You're not getting, like, gashed, which, again, is the kind of thing where, with this Tulane team, why they've been so good is because they're just consistently fine like they're good right uh, but not necessarily great like they're not holding anybody they held southern miss to 59 yards but it's southern miss but like kansas state had 186 yards against them deuce vaughn is a, is a good running back so like i'd take that if i'm if i'm too lame going up against that running back Well, par- part of it is there you know you look at at Tulane's defense and how it's set up in that four two five. they really defend the pass really really well and for you know long stretches of the season they were up among the highest ranked um uh pass defenses they finished the year uh 18th in in total pass defense 19th in passer rating um which i think is going to be a challenge for sc but if sc is at their full health it's still caleb williams and most of his weapons at, at wide right. receiver, and I think you. you but the still, question you still pick SC in, in that in that bet there. Yes, but it's a lot easier for Tulane to defend the pass if they're not having to having worry, to about, worry the about what Austin Jones or Willie Brown does. Exactly, and that's why which it's is which be is really why Utah was able to completely shut down SC when when Caleb Williams was gimpy because he couldn't scramble and he couldn't hand off and the, yeah because they had, weren't able to run the ball and they became extremely one-dimensional I mean, and that's why they couldn't complete a third down calling game. that offense once caleb williams got injured one-dimensional is being very generous too. it was like they a were, half a dimension they were half dimensional yes. yeah um so like you you would hope that that's no longer that's not the case in this game even if it's not caleb williams the, the plus side is if caleb williams is not playing or if he's limited they will have had a month to game plan for miller moss playing and for Caleb Williams being injured. Right. But I think part of the problem against Utah was just it's happened. And what do you do then? Like you're, you're sort of screwed. And you also have a, a situation where you can't run the ball because you've got all the, the other stuff that you're talking about. But you go into this game and, and you look at it and you think, well, if you can establish a run game, take some, some of the load off of the quarterback, be it Caleb Williams or Miller Moss, you give yourself that much more of an opportunity. And there is an opportunity there to run the ball effectively against this Tulane team. Right. But how effectively can you, like you, like you and, said, and, and with what, this offensive line, we do not know how effectively USC can run the ball. Right. This will be a huge, huge test for the coaching staff, for Josh Henson to get Canones and, and those guys all, and, and Dietrich especially, because I know he is a center by trade, but he has not played center in two, three years. Uh, so mm-hmm. that is something that he's going to have to get up, get up with. And the, the task that they have in front of them is, is pretty huge, but part of me also wants to give them the benefit of the doubt because we did see for the mo- with the exception of that Utah game where 
the stuff hit the fan in, in multiple different dimensions of that game. Yeah. Um, we've seen the offensive line do, do its job and do it well and have to, we saw the offensive line have to adjust to injuries early in the season. You know, Bobby Haskins and Cortland Ford were in and out, in and out. Mason Murphy is only playing because of the injuries that were happening over at that left, left tackle spot. And, it worked out in the end because now when we're looking at when we're looking at that offensive line, we're only looking at Gino Canones as the big question of like, well, he's only started one game this season. He started against Arizona, I think. Um, and we don't know what to expect from him. But like Mason Murphy was in that position in week three, in week four, you know? Right. So he's now had a season under his belt to make us feel a little bit more certain about what you're getting with him. But he also needs Mason Murphy and Jonah Monheim also need to step up. Because their performance against Utah was not up to snub. Um, no. Nobody on that offensive line no, I, was. So yeah, and, and you know, you, you said that the, the offensive line has, you know, answered the bell time and time again this year, and and they have absolutely. But every time they have, Andrew Voorhees has been there. Yeah, and well, so and this is why they and and the one time that they didn't, he wasn't there. So it's very easy to say that. Well, if he's not in there, then they can't. Well, and, and Brett and Nealon that, was there too. Yeah, and and that yeah, Brett Brett Nealon was there for most of that game. He got hurt, you know, in the second half. So yeah, uh, and without those two guys, uh, Nealon was a was a Remington Award finalist. Yeah, one of the top three centers in the country. Okay. So, yeah. um, and Voorhees, of course, an All American. So, yeah, it, it's it's difficult. It's a challenge. It, it's absolutely a challenge. SC's got to deal with the injuries and and slash opt-outs even though there really haven't been opt-outs i guess if you can call uh jordan addison an opt-out even though he does say that rehabbing he's, he's the rehabbing the, the the injury so i don't know you put that all together the other hurdle to climb for the sc in this game is the curse the curse mm-hmm. alicia no pac-12 championship game runner-up loser whatever you want to call it has ever won a bowl game. Yeah. They are 0-10. Yeah. Since the Pac-12 expanded and or the uh the conference expanded and got a Pac-12 championship game the first time in 2011, there have been 12 Pac-12 championship games, uh 11 before this season, and those 11 losers went 0-10 in bowl games. One of them did not play a bowl game, and that was 2020 USC, of course, which lost the Pac-12 championship game uh, and then did not go to a bowl game uh, in the COVID season. So rightfully, we can just scratch the COVID season off of this one. Yeah, but it's a weird one. But 0-10, and it's not only 0-10, those teams have been outscored by an average of 14 points per game. A lot of blowouts in there. There are a lot of blowouts. UCLA lost to, to Baylor by by 23 uh, Utah lost to Texas in 2019, 38-10. Uh, Colorado in 2016 lost to Oklahoma State in the Alamo Bowl, 38-8. to So there's close games in there too, but like they're sort of weighed down by those big blowouts. And why, do, why does this exist? Well, most of this, the, the, the bulk of these years, have come in the playoff era. And when the Rose Bowl is no longer in your, in your line of sight, in the playoff era, the bowl games tend to sort of just be an anomaly. Uh, not an anomaly. Uh, what's, what's the word? Uh, a crapshoot? Uh, you know, less less important. 
Mm-hmm. That's definitely not an anomaly. I know what anomaly yeah. means. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a little bit less important, right? Um, it, I think it does matter that of all these games, only one of them has been in a January 6th bowl. Um, and that is uh, Arizona losing to Boise State in the Fiesta Bowl in 2014. Mm-hmm. They lost 38-30. Uh, that's a respectable game against a, a good Boise State team. That's that's one game, small sample size. Uh, that's the situation SC is in. But I al- would also say SC is in a spot where if this was – if I was on the outside and doing bowl pick them, I would absolutely be picking Tulane here straight up because you got the Heisman winner um, – Coming back after an injury, you've got uh, the the two guys in the offensive line not playing, all those things. While Tulane, this is absolutely their Super Bowl. Yeah. Like all the all the all the things are ripe there to given how bowl games work lately, to say that this is Tulane's bowl game to win. Yeah, I I think you can certainly look at the the 0 and 10 record for runners up in the Pac-12 as being a reflection of the disappointment of being the runner up in your conference and i think it would be interesting to look at uh, the record for like the other power 5 conference for for any of the other conferences to see yeah. what they do but right. just knowing the Pac-12 footprint a little bit better the majority of these games have come in, in the Holiday Bowl the Alamo Bowl and there's one craft fight hunger bowl but yeah. i think for the most part alamo and holiday to, to be fair ucla in 2011 shouldn't have been in that championship game so. well and and that's what uh texas mike points out didn't we establish the second best team in the pac-12 usually wasn't in the pac-12 title game that's a fair thing too because because of, uh, yeah. of the divisions and that's also partly why like the second you know the, the loser goes to the holiday bowl as opposed to something sort of bigger um, and this is the first time that we have had USC uh, be the runner-up or be the have a second-place team that wasn't a division winner. Um, that was a even though ironically the Pac-12 would have been better off if it was if it was Washington um, as the division winner because it would have been a game win which SC and Washington didn't play all season. So. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, um, not taking anything away from Utah, obviously. No, no, but. no. But it, it just sort of yeah, the two, the two, the top two teams in the Pac-12 by record. Yeah, uh, played in this game, which is not always the case with the North and South for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just maybe it's that maybe it's um disappointment maybe it's all of those things but that's why I think this is such a big test for me for USC in this game how much can USC's coaching staff motivate this group because yes they need to motivate this group because this group is by and large the group that's going to go back next year and try to do it all over again so you gotta you gotta motivate this group you gotta get them get them wanting to go out there and, and put their best on the field and if they put their best on the field they'll win yeah the problem is that like it's hard to to it, it, to get up for a game, uh, you know, on January 10 a.m. Pacific against right. Tulane when there's going to be, you know, 20 fans in the stand in the stands. And no, uh, Alicia, there's going to be more than that. Remember the uh, the OU fans are. Oh, yeah. The OU fans are we'll going to be, be there. there. That's the hostile yeah. environment. That we're, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 very difficult. It's a very difficult uh, job to to get guys up for this game. But I I just this is why I keep wanting to feel like Caleb Williams is going to play. Yeah. And to be frank, like I'll believe that Caleb Williams is going to play when the line starts to move because right now the line, last I saw it was USC by two. Yeah, one and a, one and a half. When I did the the, uh, the rundown earlier today, that line will will move um, if Caleb Williams is if if anyone thinks that Caleb Williams is actually going to play in this game, you'll see that line move. It, with it being at two, um, makes me think. So, you know, not this is me reading a lot into lines, but that's just me. Lincoln Riley has said that the only people he expects not to play were Voorhees. Nilon and Addison and that everyone else he expects to play um, including Caleb Williams but we know there's gamesmanship in college ball with the quarterback stuff um, and again we go back to how healthy could he be and and how, could it be a thing where will he have you, you can still expect him to play um, a, a week ago and then you get to the game and then decide otherwise too like I I I, I just I'm I'm skeptical like you are. We'll, we'll see, um, but how all of this stuff goes in is this is just SC with the injuries, Tulane feeling like this is their best season um, in in decades, going to their biggest bowl game uh, in like sixty years. This is this has all the the especially when you know look at look at how SC fans were just completely broken. Um, like the spirit was broken after the Pac-12 championship game um, because of how much of a heartbreaking loss that was looking at the playoff and all that stuff. I think you're right that SC needs to find a way to pick up the pieces and rally on that and end the season with the bang looking into next year. I just don't know how realistic that always is um, given how we see bowl games now. So I don't know. We have over-under to get to, Alicia, and it's the last over-under of the season. So, double points. Let's get to it. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match 
up up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. I have a lead. 47 over-under wins. You're at 41. That's six over-under games for me that I have a lead, but this is double. So it's basically three. You need three things to go your way. What's your first over-under? All right. I'm going 6.5 catches for Mario Williams. With Jordan Addison out, Mario Williams is going to be as healthy as he's been in a while, uh, given the time that he's had to recover from the injury he had earlier in the season. Um this could be his. This could be his day. This could be the day for for Mario Williams uh, to to take over that number one receiving slot, especially because we know Dorian uh, Dorian Singer's coming in. Yeah, we know that there will be uh, you know five star freshmen coming in. Um, if Mario Williams wants that number one job, like he's got to he's got to act like a number one receiver. And so I'm I'm curious what he'll do in this game. Six point five catches because his season high was six earlier this season. He's only had one other game with more than four. Only had one game with 100, 100 uh, yards. He had 145 against Utah before. Uh, yeah. The in the first game against Utah. Uh, so yeah, will he? Will he go off? Will Will Mario Williams go off? I'm gonna take the under. I I like Mario Williams to be a low catch, high yard guy. Um, and, and not low catch, but just more so like he's going to be high on the average. He's going to be like the deep threat guy who's gonna, you know get a whole bunch of yak yards and uh, deep ball yards. So give, give me like six catches for a hundred, but under the six and a half. Okay. My first over under, uh, of course, these are double points uh, is similar. Seven and a half over under seven and a half uh, really Brown touches. Uh, he had eight plus touches, only two games this season, nine against rice, eight against Colorado, but, they were his best two games of the year. Can he do it again? Seven and a half relief Brown touches over under. So he didn't have a, a, a run against Utah. He had two catches against Utah. Um, I'm going to take the over. I think we'll see him involved in the run game. I just have a feeling. I just have a, a little bit of a feeling. All right, but we'll I, see. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes because he, he and Austin Jones surely are going to be the guys in the backfield. Yeah. Um, but how much will it be Austin Jones? I think Brown could be a pass catching option, especially yeah. if you got to go to the the flats. In but the then co- again, that's just something I do. In the context of this game, too, 
you're at the end of the season. It's your last game, really proud of his freshman season. Yeah. Now, like you, you really want to see what a full involvement in this offense, especially because you don't have Travis Dye. He's the number two running back at this point. Let him loose. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, over under uh, your next one. I almost read it off the rundown. That would have been bad. What's your next one? Over under one point five turnovers forced by USC. Uh, so USC's defense ended up averaging 2.07 turnovers per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tulane's offense averaged 1.15 turnover per game. They had 10 fumbles and five interceptions. So it's the end of the se- it's the end of the season. Everyone talked about how USC couldn't maintain the turnovers, and and more or less they they did a decent job of it. But also I think it it came back to bite them against Utah because I think they were so focused on forcing a turnover that they were missing tackles. So. Can they force some fumbles in this one? Can they get multiple turnovers in this game? Yeah, uh, SC's done it a bunch. Obviously, they've done it like seven different games this year, forced more than one and a half. (sighs) Tulane, though, is someone who just keeps it close to the vest. I I sort of like Tulane to continue to do that, so give me the under. Okay. When you're the under, that means I take the over. Yeah, Pratt, only five picks. So uh, neither team this this year throws picks. Yeah. Uh, my next one is over under 45 and a half percent on third down for the Trojans. So the Trojans were fourth nationally, 51.6 during the season. There were one for 12 against Utah, which is really bad. Uh, of course, there were the circumstances we talked about. Um, Tulane, very good um, defensively, 34.8% is pretty solid. Uh, but their best two performances on third down were in their two biggest games, K-State and UCF. K-State went two for 15 on third down. So uh, 45.5% on third down over under that. UCF went six for 23. Six for 23. That is Can you imagine having 23 third downs? 23 third downs and you converted six of them. That is just, I'm, I am I would not want to be a UCF fan watching that game, to be quite honest. No. Um, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the under- and I don't know why uh, on it. Like, honestly, I, I don't know why I, I don't have a strong urge to, to, to say over my, 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 my brain just said, take the under. So I'm taking it Four four of 11 is 44%. Sorry. The four, four of 11 is 45%. See, I think, so. you, I think USC can. Hmm. I think USC can win the game without having with, with, with being under 45% on third down yeah, if they, if they go like four for 11, for yeah. example, I think just that, that don't, would probably be Don't fun. have third downs. Yeah. Okay, so you take the under there. Uh, locks me into the over. Uh, what is your last over under? All right, 2.5 tackles for loss for Tuli Tupelotu. Uh, he had 21 tackles for loss on the season, but he only had one each in the last two games of the season against um, Notre Dame and Utah. He only had one sack in the last three games, if you include UCLA. Uh, in that mm-hmm. so he sort of I think teams have understood that that he's the focal point just you know double team him don't let him don't let him go off will Tulane be able to do that I guess is is my question uh, Tulane has allowed 61 tackles for loss they're they're giving up four plus tackles for loss per game so will Tule will this be Tule tends to be either sort of a one to zero or a four so I I'm gonna I'm gonna go risky here. Give me the over. Okay. I, I like Tuli for a big one here. 
Um, also, I'm proposing to change his name to Tuli Tifflepolotu. Tifflepolotu. I like it. For the, the tackle for loss. Tifflepolotu. Yes. Yeah. Tuli had a third of the number of tackle for losses that tackles for loss that Tulane had this season, that Tulane gave yeah. up this season. There you go. There you go. Okay. He's due. Uh, my last one for you is over under 129.5 Tajay Spears rushing yards. Again, as I mentioned earlier, seven straight 100 yard games. And he was over 130 in five of the seven. 199 against UCF in the AAC title game. We know SC allowed 223 total rushing yards to Utah, but only 90 to Notre Dame. They held Zach Charbonnet to 95. So 129 and a half. Tajay Spears. Over under. <sighs> I don't <laughs> even know. <laughs> Averaging a buck fifty over the last seven. Am I do I want to bet on USC wrapping up and tackling Tasha Spears? Is uh this is a little bit of a question. I'm gonna go with the over. Okay. All right. And I might regret that because I have a little voice in my head that's saying, take the under, take the under. And I listened to it before, but also I, I just. It, it, it's, yeah. it's a difficult line, I think, because he could have a great game and still have a buck 25. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm yeah, sure I, I, I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, before we, we get into our game predictions, I just want to remember to make your picks. We're going to throw the link uh in here uh, so you can go make your picks uh, for over under because it's the last week and uh, Moose Pants and Ryan from Arizona lead with 55 over under wins behind them is Steven Chad at 54 Kerry from Chicago has 53 Cali Cat Jay Vandy our buddy Steve from the Bay Area Randy from Redline Redlands have 52 LA Fred and Ocean Beach Trojans at 51 and 28 pitch Cali Matt and G Young 08 at 50. All in the game. Double or nothing. Well, not double or nothing, but double the points. Yeah. So go make your points. Uh, Alicia, let's get into game predictions. Vegas is the Trojans as of today, uh, Monday, a one and a half point favorite. Uh, the over under is at 62 and a half. What is your prediction? I am going USC 38 to lane 35. Okay. Close one. I think it'll be close. I'm betting on Lincoln Riley's offense. That's just what I'm doing. I can't bet against Owen 10. <laughs> I I, yeah. I I I want to think that SC can go in this game and you know have Caleb Williams back uh and the offensive the makeshift offensive line and and still beat a team that they're more talented than. Um, but I think Tulane is going to – I hate the want it more thing, but I think when you talk about bowl games, I think that is a thing. Um, you talk about the 0-10-ness, uh, 0-10 streak. I think that that's worrisome for the Pac-12 championship losers, especially when you talk about the offensive line and, and we don't know Caleb Williams' you know health percentage and all that. Give me Tulane 34, SC 28. So not a blowout, but – Close. 
but yeah. no no cigar for what's for your FC. is your prediction that Miller Moss will be the quarterback for that twenty eight point I don't know. I I I I genuinely I genuinely because I almost know. put I almost put in two different score predictions with Caleb Williams and without, but I decided not to. Not I think bother. Caleb plays, but but is visual visibly Visibly not limited. Ready. I think that I think that would be my my hunch if anything. So, all right, um, let's really quick run down the the news roundup before we wrap up this episode. Uh, really quick transfer portal updates. Uh, USC linebacker Tua Sivinamora has entered the portal. He will not be at the Cotton Bowl. He's another guy who just won't be there. Um, Western Michigan defensive lineman Brand- Braden Fiske had the opportunity to pick USC, but he committed to Florida State. Uh, Tulsa offensive tackle Dylan Wade commits to Auburn, not USC. Uh, the Trojans have offered Texas State defensive lineman Devon Sears and Washington State offensive lineman Jarrett Kingston. So keep an eye out for those two guys. Still pursuing defensive and offensive linemen, and those yeah. the rest of the year should be all about those in the transfer portal. Yeah, all, all the big bodies there. Uh, in the uh, quarterback news, Keaton Slovis going to the site of his first loss, BYU. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Yes. Um, and uh, DJ following his brother, to Oregon, but he's going to Oregon State with the Beavs to be their quarterback from, this, from Clemson. This one's interesting. Um, this could be the thing that wins Oregon State, the Pac-12, or this could be the wrong quarterback for them to have picked up. And I am in the camp of this isn't the fit I would have given them. Um. They have everything except a quarterback. Yeah. I would have, if I were them, I would have looked for the efficient, uh, strong decision making uh, productivity of a G5 or FCS sort of transfer looking to plug and play versus DJ Uyunglele, who I really think like a full, needs a full rehab from Clemson. Like the Clemson offense just, it, it yeah. did not click with him. Um, he did not look good running that offense. I don't no. know if Oregon State has a better off. Like, does Oregon State's running game being their focal point help, or does this ruin everything for Oregon State because now they go in and go, "Oh, we got DJU. He's a five star. Let's let him air it out." And then that becomes a mistake. I don't know. I, I'm this is so, a, this is so intriguing. But then again, I thought Bo Nix wouldn't do anything at Oregon, and he did a hell of a job at Oregon. So who knows? I I I'm, I'm with you. I think that Oregon State needed somebody who was uh, ready to go, a turnkey. Um, and DJ needs sort of is a reclamation project. But at the same time, Jonathan Smith, uh, hard to hard to go against him. And he's well, been and, called a quarterback guru before. And when you give when you give a, a give him a quarterback with an arm, just yeah. if, if nothing else, DJ Uyunglele has an arm that can yeah. air it out. The so, other quarterbacks didn't. It was weird. Yeah. They had to make their handoffs with their knees. <laughs> Very difficult. So, yeah. uh, Other news, uh, some USC staffers are getting jobs. USC lead defensive analyst Austin Woods is expected to be the new O-line coach at uh, Incarnate Word over the FCS. They just uh, were in the playoffs, made a playoff run uh, there in San Antonio. Uh, Associate Director... 
uh, football sports performance. Brian Keegan's is reportedly hired by North Texas, the new strength coach. And Texas A Texas A and M is reportedly considering USC wide receivers coach Luke Heward as its next offensive coordinator, according to Brent Swennerman of the uh, Houston Chronicle. See that one's fascinating. It's weird because because Luke Heward was a, a an analyst that got promoted into the job because yeah. Dave Nichols tragically died, and I. I find it interesting that he's the one that's getting an well, offensive I, coordinator nod at Texas A&M I, I or would, at least being looked at. If I, if I'm an Aggie, I hate that move. Like that's the, the best whole, they can do. Look, look, yeah. And it's not a knock on you. No, right? but no. Like, it, the, the whole thing is that Jimbo needs to go out and get a name. They need to go out and get Cliff Kingsbury before Nick Saban does. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, 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 uh, <laughs> no. I mean, and I, I get it. If you want sort of a, someone from the Lincoln Riley tree who's, yeah, Right, but I, I there's got to be someone more established for Texas A and M to go get. Like there's got to be someone with more. Yeah, they've they've got all the oil cachet. Yeah, yeah. That's just not the that. If you had told me one of USC's assistants would get poached for an offensive coordinator position, I just he would would not have been the one that I would have guessed for a for a Texas A and M. But we'll see if that. Well, it's a report, so we don't know if it's going to happen. But that'll yeah. be interesting. That if that happens, that tells me that Jimbo still um, doesn't want to give up power. That's what my thinking would be. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, really quick mailbag. We got a couple of questions to get to here on YouTube. Ram Murdy says, "Has SC used most of the practices they have available to them?" Uh, that that's been my understanding. I, I don't. Not like they took extra weeks off or anything. No, they've been practicing for the, this would be their third week of practice. Yeah, it's, or it's I guess three weeks of half. practice. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's sort of. Um, goes along with what the timeline you would expect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Blessing Brakes says, man, I'm starting to wonder why we paid Lincoln $110 million if we can't even land Dylan Wade or Braden Fiske. WTF are we doing? Everyone knows the game is one in the trenches. Uh, as, as someone in the chat said, <laughs> you paid Lincoln Riley $11 million a year um, to come in and win 11 games, which he did, and to come in and produce... USC's eighth Heisman winner, which he did. And uh, yeah, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. Yeah. And yes, I want USC to be winning the battles for these offensive tackles and defensive linemen. Absolutely. You need to go out there and do it. But you're throwing some a, a, a ginormous baby out with the bathwater if you're acting like this is uh, this is not like Lincoln Riley is suddenly not worth his salary because of Dylan Wade, the Tulsa offensive tackle. Like, nah. Yeah. As West Texas Mike says, why can't we just win a game? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. been so long. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, the Cotton Bowl will come up next week, 10 a.m. Pacific uh, on, uh, I think it's ESPN, not ABC. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Mark Jones and uh, Hydron Trophy winning quarterback RG3. So get your breakfast Calling this ready. year's Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, mm -hmm. uh, against the Dulane Green Wave. We will be back on Thursday with an episode, which I don't know what we're going to talk about. A whole bunch of mailbag questions, maybe. Uh, send us your mailbag questions. Reignofcroyatfanside.com is the email address. Uh, we're just going to hang out, talk about the, the Cotton Bowl a little bit more, answer your questions. Just have a little fun um, on Thursday. So join us then. Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 
live on YouTube as always. Uh, and if you're here on YouTube, be sure to like the stream and subscribe. Um, we hope you all have a wonderful holiday season uh, and continue uh, to do so uh, with New Year's coming up. Uh, we appreciate you guys as always. It's been a hell of a year. Um, and I, I don't know about you, Alicia, but the game preview episodes are my favorite to do and um, all the research and all that. So this was fun to put together. Can't wait till the next one. But uh, one final game left. We'll be back Thursday before the car cast Monday night. So uh, until then, we will see you. See you. See you. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.